Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years, in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out until our 29th year of marriage that we were a neurodiverse couple. And I've been divorced since 2018, and together we have an amazing adult daughter who's thriving and doing fantastic. And today I am so excited to have the guest I have on the podcast. She is a returning guest, one of only a few people who've been on more than once, and it's Eva Mendez. And Eva, I am so glad that you are back on the podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Mona, for having me once again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I feel the same way. And I think I may have mentioned this before when you were on the podcast, but I have to tell the listeners, Eva has a special place in my heart because when I found out in 2017 that my ex-husband and I were a neurodiverse couple, she was one of the counselors that I reached out to. And I may have told you this, Eva. And at the time you were offering like packages, I don't know if you still offer it of like three or four different sessions, three or four sessions at once. Mm-hmm. And my ex-husband did not want to do online uh, coaching. Oh. So we didn't move forward, but I read your book. I like read it in one day, your first book. And I just was so thankful to have found you. So I'm so glad to have you back on the podcast. You're so welcome. And I'm glad that it was, you know, uh, such a help to you at a difficult time when you needed it. Was. It was. And for those folks that have not read Eva's first book, and we'll talk a little bit about her other books, her first book is Marriage and Lasting Relationships with Asperger's Syndrome, in parentheses, Autism Spectrum Disorder, Successful Strategies for Couples or Counselors. And I can't recommend it enough. If you haven't read it, whether you're autistic or non-autistic or holistic, please, please go out and buy her book. So Eva, I would love if you would share a little bit about what brought you to working with neurodiverse couples and neurodivergent individuals so that folks know a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I think in in the beginning, it was, you know, I was in grad school and I actually had been through a rough time with my own, excuse me. Uh, relationships, romantic relationships. So I really wanted to, you know, go to grad school for uh, mental health counseling and focus on being a couples counselor, you know, because I felt like when I was looking for couples counselors, they weren't, um, you know, uh, as useful as I thought they would be. And I felt like there must be a better way of doing this. And then while I was in grad school, I had this ADHD professor who was very open about his neurodivergence. And uh, that's when I started like thinking about it, you know, just like the brain and neurology and differences and all of that. And around that time, I actually started uh, dating someone as well, who I think on our first date, he said, yeah, I I think I'm Asperger's or something, but I never like took it uh, too seriously because he wasn't that serious about it. But I sort of filed away that, that word in my mind, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then this was, I think maybe in 2009 or so. And uh, yeah. And then shortly thereafter, I mean, we didn't date for too long, but I sort of realized like something was just different about this relationship. 
And I just was like, it, it just wasn't kind of working out for me because I was also like working full time in grad school. And then this relationship, because he also had not only was he on the spectrum, but uh, <clears throat> but he also had a lot of unresolved family trauma and mental health issues. Mm. So I just couldn't really handle it. And I think I we just ended up like, you know, parting ways. And right after that is when I found uh, the AANE. Um, <clears throat> they, I think, recently changed their name to the Association for Autism and Neurodiversity, but that's 2AsNE.org. I think most people know about them. Right. I found out about, you know, their support groups and couples groups and just the work that they did. And I was also in search of like an internship at the time. So I just applied and I got called in for an interview. And right away I connected with folks there. And yeah, and I started my internship and I've never looked back. I think one of the reasons that I enjoy working with um, autistic individuals and their families is partly because I think after the fact, I realized that, wow, a lot of my family members um, in, you know, my family of origin and extended family and all of that are on the spectrum or neurodivergent in some way, ADHD, autistic, that sort of thing. And that's why I think there was like a, a comfort and a feeling of like belonging and, you know, like, like sense of like, uh, yeah, I want to hang out with these people, yeah. you know, in my work. Right. And that has not changed. And every day I just love my, um, you know, autistic, neurodivergent, RDD clients, you know, um, because they're just so interesting. No, no uh, need, like no two are alike. Uh, and, and they're very, and most of them, I feel like the majority of my clients anyway, I feel like I'm very fortunate. Uh, they're just the most wonderful, sincere people who are just like, working so hard and that's both sides you know even the the non-autistic partner uh, to really persevere in making their relationships better their lives better you know and they're just really wonderful people so I really just enjoy it and I feel like it's it's a privilege to be a part of these people's journeys and lives you know mm-hmm. oh my gosh yes Eva I so understand what you're talking about because, you know, I, I say this on the podcast all the time. I have a deep fondness for my ex-husband and every man that I've dated since our separation and divorce has been neurodivergent, primarily autistic. And um, I am so thankful for my marriage because it made me realize my father was autistic and so many other people on both sides of my family. And yeah. then I am a better partner when I am in relationship with a man who is neurodivergent, because I understand so many things I did not understand during my 30 year marriage, it has made all the difference in the world. Yeah, I totally understand. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I know you do both therapy and counseling. You're a licensed mental health clinician or counselor. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I, and I work with individuals, um, a lot of women, females on the spectrum, non-binary, you know, LGBT folks, you know, couples, young adults. But the majority of my work is with the neurodiverse couples, I would say. Uh, but I, you know, but I do have, say, maybe it's like a 
40-60 split almost, you know, with the couples being 60% and then everyone else in, you know, the other categories. I also do diagnoses as well. I do offer coaching for people who aren't in the state of Massachusetts where I live, you know, here in the Boston area. So, so that has been also uh, a, a remarkable thing because it has allowed me to also view like neurodiversity and autism uh, through more like of a global lens, you know, like, oh, I even had uh, clients in Africa at one point, you know, and I have clients in the UK and in uh, Australia and in India, you know, um, in Canada and many parts of the country. And just kind of like how, like, um, you know, how many, like how much of a similarity there is between people and what they go through with regard to like, um, having to cope with, you know, the, the world, the holistic world that they live in um, due to their, you know, be it sensory sensitivities or emotional sensitivity or, you know, social emotional challenges, you know. So yeah. it, that also has been uh, quite an enriching kind of experience for me. Yes. Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, I have folks that come to the neurotypical non-autistic support group that I facilitate from all over the world. And it, it is, it's so interesting to see how, um, whether they're in a relationship with a man or a woman or somebody who's non-binary, how the challenges that both partners experience are so similar. And I also, you know, see that in the couples groups that I run. So thank you so much for sharing that. And that kind of leads us into the first topic I want to talk to you about, Eva, and that is, you know, marriage or a lasting or a serious relationship where you're living with each other or you're in maybe a monogamous, uh, serious relationship with your partner and how, and, and a lot of times we don't think about this, Eva, how a serious relationship is all about self-discovery and growth. And I'd love to talk a little bit about each of those and kind of how you guide couples who are going into a relationship or marriage thinking that it's all about their partner changing to meet their needs, right? I mean, I know I was guilty of that way too many times in my marriage. So let's talk a little bit about the self-discovery journey or path. What are some of the things that you find couples are discovering about themselves or that you help them discover about themselves, either in a marriage or in a long-term relationship? Yeah, I, I think... Um... You know, right before I, I met my husband, um, I actually bumped into one of my friends who had just started his relationship. And I remember what he said has always really stuck with me. He goes, gosh, I never realized how effed up I am before I started this relationship. <laughs> And I was like, bingo, you really hit the nail on the head. Because, you know, a, a few years before I met my husband, I was also like single. I was dating, but, you know, not like anything serious. And I re and I and I was just like, 
happy and content, like there's no one rocking my boat, you know, no one challenging me in any way, you know, I come home, I do what I want, you know, and then the moment I got in this relationship, I was like, oh my God, like this is like, wow, I have to really think about myself. I have to be like, wow, the way I talk is just like, what is going on with my tone? And then you have children, you know, and then your children start reflecting that to you too. And, and you know, and they're like, oh, wow, like, what's, like, are you mad at me? Like, what's going on, you know? So yeah. you start realizing like all of these things that are embedded in us, whether it's nature, nurture, you know, family of origin stuff, you know, our own stuff, our own baggage trauma, that's there, even personality stuff. And until you have a partner that's like shines the light and shows you the mirror, you're, you're not able to really, I think, um, be in self-discovery, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I really think that human relationships are sort of like an important aspect of life, like the, um, the aspect of life. I think otherwise, like, you know, why bother kind of, um, because I think they really show us, you know, uh, where we need to grow and who we are really, because, you know, if you, you know, we're in a room by ourselves uh, all our lives or on an island, you you may never know, you know, uh, who you truly are. Because I think it's by, uh, in Buddhism, we have this saying that it's by rubbing up like stones in a sack or potatoes in a sack that we uh, smooth, smooth ourselves out, you know, so we mm -hmm. sort of uh, embark on this journey of self-discovery and, and personal growth. And I, I really think that that's the purpose of life, right? That is like why we're here to be better, to become um, more empathetic, wiser, like, you know, feel deeply, you know, have more compassion, have courage to, you know, stand up for what we believe in, you know. And if those, that's not what you're working on each day and each day can sometimes I think feel like a battle, you know, when yeah. having someone else to do it with, you know, uh, is, is just such a privilege and it's, it's like so wonderful. And I think when you're in the right relationship, it should feel that way. Now, if it's like, there are just too many challenges. And I think that's something we might talk about later, you know, should you be in this relationship or not, you know? Uh, but I think in a, in a if your values are aligned, your life goals are aligned, like you know, and then also that perspective that wow, um, you know, and I think young people really need to um, embrace this and really like internalize this that marriage is all about self discovery and self growth, um, and otherwise don't bother signing up because you're not going to be like oh please just accept me for who I am yeah that's true you should be able to be yourself and not just have to keep like being someone else or twisting yourself into a pretzel to to be something you're not I've certainly been in those kinds of relationships where it feels like just exhausting all the time you know mm -hmm. And, and you're burnt out. But but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when both people, I think, align with, on that perspective that, yeah, you know, it's a great idea for us to maybe talk to a couple's counselor or um, if we need need the support or let's read a book, you know, and this is a, a, a thing that we need to do for our lives, you know. Absolutely. And I think you touch on so many points that are really, really important 
And I don't know, you know, if um, I'm, I'm a little older than you, I think I'm going to be 60. I, I know that I was never taught <laughs> that marriage is all about self-discovery and growth. I think what I witnessed oftentimes was you do for me, I do for you. And almost like there's a scorecard that is kept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not healthy. I grew up with a very codependent. Um, my parents were very codependent. They married very young. And I, I agree with you. And I think this is really important for any relationship. But I think for a neurodiverse relationship, there's opportunities for self-discovery that you might not ever um, work through or achieve without being in a relationship. Because you said something that I think is really going to resonate with a lot of folks. And that is, you know, it's really easy to sit in your own home, mm-hmm. to go to work every day, to come home, to engage in your hobbies or your deep interests, and only focus on what you like and live a life that is fulfilling and wonderful. But if you're going to be in a relationship with another human being that you love, it's important for you to understand yourself. But it's also important for you to grow as a partner, right? So that is sometimes the challenge, you know, that we have when we're in relationship with somebody because we want them to change and we don't want to look at how we can grow and we can change. So are there any specific maybe strategies or tools that you use with the couples that you're working with who are neurodiverse couples to help them in their journey for self-discovery and growth. I know you talked about aligned values and life goals. Um, are there any tools that, that you might want to share with the listeners that might be helpful? Yeah, I think part of one of the things that I keep saying to my clients, you know, is focus on yourself. Because oftentimes they'll say, you know, I don't think it's all me. I think it's my partner too, because they do this, this, and this. And they think that I'm, I have narcissistic traits or whatever. But don't you think they also have those traits? Because, you know, so <laughs> like, so when, but the thing is that, when you keep deflecting, it doesn't really work, you know, right. or being defensive. So, and I say, look, it's like the butterfly effect. If you change, even if it's a little bit, there's no way that someone in your environment is also not going to change mm-hmm. over time, whatever, you know, sometimes even immediately. And I really try to get them to write down like a list of things that they need to work on. Say, monitor my tone of voice. Like, don't mimic my partner or my spouse when they're in a bad mood. Because sometimes bad moods and even good moods are can be contagious. Absolutely. You know? And especially like for a lot of autistic folks, I think they can, they tend to kind of mimic maybe their partner's like uh, negativity or bad mood. And I say, well, you got to like, rise up uh, against that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes. And and it's sometimes a strategy. I mean, it's easier said than done. And I notice it uh, doing it sometimes in my own home with my child who's going to be five soon. It's much easier because, you know, she'll be in a bad mood and I can distract her and rise above it and, you know, make a joke or whatever. Um, 
but I think I, with my spouses, I say, like, ask them, okay, what can I do to help you in this moment? I can see that you're upset or you're mad, you know? So giving them like a script and then also like a lot of like um, monitoring of negative self-talk. Mm. The, the negative self-talk can be uh, not only about themselves, but also about their spouses. Because I think especially for autistic adults, they can tend to sort of like, you know, if something happens, you know, whether it's at work or in their home or with their spouse, you know, they'll be like, oh, this is, you know, like, why is she doing this? What's going on? Like, oh, you know, why didn't she do it this way? She always does it that way. Or I'm, I'm never right. I'm always wrong, you know. And then it just spirals out of control. And then it's like you, you just like hate your spouse over time. You know, it sort of reminds me of... Um, uh, um, a story of my friend's husband. I think the refrigerator had died or something. And then he just spiraled out of control and he's like, oh, this whole house, let's just get rid of it. Like just sell it or something. <laughs> like, so it's like, you know, your refrigerator died and it's like, <laughs> hey, you can just go to the store, buy a new one. You know, it's a pain in the butt when that happens. But instead he was like, he just spiraled way out of control. And he's like, yeah, let's just like sell this whole house. This is like terrible. So it's the same kind of thing that can happen when your spouse does w one thing wrong or whatever. And sometimes my husband and I, like before 8 a.m., we're like getting on each other's nerves, you know? Right, right, right. Like, okay. So, and then you just have to take perspective. And, um, and another strategy I tell people is to kind of like uh, think of it like you're taking, uh, putting out the garbage every day. Because, you know, if you don't put out the garbage every day, you like it, it stinks up or, or whatever, you know. Um, so I just say, like, uh, basically, marriages and even relationships are like that. You just have to let things go. Sometimes it's like, OK, before 8 a.m., you're on each other's nerves. This happened, that happened, you know. And by the, by the time you're just avoiding each other for the next few hours, you know, something that I'm familiar with. And then sometimes I've just learned, it's okay, let it go. Apologize if you need to. Like, it's not about keeping score and who's right or who's wrong, you know. And sometimes you just have to, yeah, be the bigger person. Um, and of course, you have to also go back to that, okay, why did I marry this person? I still trust this person, right? I still... Uh, think that this person is a good human being, that they're not out to get me deliberately. So it's like, what is the point of like gathering all this evidence on why your partner did this yesterday and day before yesterday and why they're a terrible person? So it's like just like having, I think, a bad memory for these things and just letting it go and deliberately, intentionally letting it go. Because uh, otherwise it's just going to become like a toxic environment, you know? Yes. Absolutely. And I think that's exactly what happened in my marriage. And I hear this from folks all the time. You know, I still love my partner and I remember all the wonderful things that we did together or the way they were in the beginning of the relationship or what have you. And I love two things. Number one, to stop or reduce the negative self-talk. Saying that to yourself is probably not enough, but 
you know, having some way to change your thinking and going back to, you know, what you love about your partner, because I know the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottman talk about that 69% of our problems are perpetual problems. Mm -hmm. They're never going to get resolved. Mm -hmm. And 31% are solvable. And I, I do sometimes wonder if in neurodiverse relationships, it's even less than 31% are resolvable. So if we're focusing on the, on all the things that are wrong or we think are wrong in our relationship and with our partner and not focusing on ourselves and how we can grow and be a better partner, I think it's probably time to reevaluate why we're in the relationship we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a challenge for a lot of folks, I know. Right. Yes, it it is. And the truth is, you know, I mean, people don't change like fundamentally, right, until unless something major happens in their lives. So I think for me, even when, you know, when my partner does something that I'm just like, oh, that's so aggravating or whatever, you know, I was telling you, like, I just had the death in the family. And then we came back and I was exhausted. And he was irritated at me because I was like, not really picking up my end of the things around the house, you know, and then we got on each other's nerves. And then I was like, I guess the uh, death makes you question things, you know, and then I literally found myself thinking, I'm like, well, like, is is this a good thing for like, am I in the right place in my life with the right person, you know, what's happening? And then I realized like, oh, that's just like the the whole, um, you know, the, because of what happened, the tragedy uh, that I've been thinking that I was thinking this way. And it's just like all the stress piled on. And with the that death in the family, we were disconnected. We weren't really we didn't get enough like uh, uh, us time, even though we were both there, you know, with the families and everything. So you just have to then put it in perspective, you know, and and then just kind of bring yourself back and say, oh, well, let's, you know, go out to dinner. Let's have a date night. Let's just like um, turn off all the screens and just like look at each other and snuggle and, you know, uh, reconnect. And and then it all comes back up, you know. And, and today, if you ask me, I'm like, oh, my God, he's so cute, you know. So, <laughs> So, so it's like that, right? But three days ago, you asked me that. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't know, like, don't ask me that today, you know? Right, right, right. And I think that that's really important, Eva, because life is filled with ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And I think we can see our partner as a team member, you know, member of our team, or we can see them as the enemy and somebody that's not going to be on our team and work through things with us. And sometimes our partners aren't willing to work through things with us. And then we get to decide, you know, do we have a support system? You know, do we have family or friends or a therapist or coach that we can turn to? Because it isn't our partner's responsibility to be our therapist or our coach, you know, 24 seven. And I know some of us come into relationships thinking it is, I know I did in my marriage, I was young, you know, I didn't know any better. So I think the other thing that I wanted to remind folks that you said is, you know, putting out the garbage every day, because I think it's a, it's a great analogy, right? Mm-hmm. If we, if we don't, our house is going to stink up mm-hmm. and our relationship is going to stink up mm-hmm. if we keep building on more and more negativity mm-hmm. and refuse to look in the mirror and look at ourselves. And one, one thing that I've learned over time is every time I am triggered, it is about me. Mm-hmm. It is about 
a need not being met that I'm looking to my partner to meet that is not their responsibility or I haven't communicated it. So understanding, you know, what we need, what we want, what our preferences are, what our values are, what our life goals and dreams are, and being able to share those with our partner to see if we are compatible, if we are on different pages at various times in our lives, because our our relationships go through seasons, right? I mean, (laughs) just like life. You know, there's a time for um, planting seeds. There's a time for harvesting. There's a time for letting, you know, the, the soil rest. And sometimes we think that we have to do everything at the same time and we don't. We have an opportunity to go through the seasons in our relationship. And we're probably going to be, if we're we're in a relationship for a really long time, we're going to be with different versions of ourselves and different versions of our partner. Yes. Yeah. And especially if we're growing, you know, so you gave a few um, ways in which folks can look at themselves and their relationships through a different lens. And I love that. Is there anything else you want to say about the self-discovery and growth piece before we go on to another topic I want to address with you? So this also, I mean, I do have great wise friends, so I'm very grateful for that. So this is another exercise that I have my clients do that actually I have to credit one of my friends with because um, I think his, uh, they, uh, they were not married at the time, they're married now. And I think she said to him like, okay, these are all the things that are wrong for me in this relationship that I feel like you need to work on. And that's the time to do it, you know, before marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think they were sitting at a, 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 in a restaurant or whatever. And so he just grabbed like a paper napkin and was, and wrote down like, okay, these are the five things that I'm going to work on if you'll reconsider this relationship. Mm. And, and that's what I do. I, I have taken that idea of writing the things that you're working on. And I do this for my own relationship, you know, and I'm not like oftentimes I forget to look at my list of the things that I'm working on, you know, but I think, uh, but, you know, every day I kind of know what the, what the top two are anyway, because you, you look at it enough, then you understand, okay, these are the things, these are the big bugaboos that I really need to work on and attend to on a daily basis. So I have my clients, you know, make a list of the things that they're working on. Uh, like say, notice my tone of voice, right? Be hypervigilant about the spiraling uh, negativity, Uh, So if my spouse does something that I don't, it doesn't go from zero to 60, that I can just sort of have the positive self-talk, you know, do my gratitude list. So I also have them do a gratitude list of uh, things they love about their spouse, things their spouse does without them having to ask, you know, why they married them, all of those positive things, you know, so, so that it changes the dialogue in their their mind when those things that happen. Because, you know, if you have a positive sort of um, dialogue in your mind about someone, then even if they do something that's like a little irritating or, or terribly irritating, you'll be able to let it go bounce back from it faster rather than if you keep a list and a record of all the negative things that they've been doing, then it's, this is just another pylon, you know, right. So have them sort of acknowledge, okay. And say, supposing sometimes 
they might be working on the fact that they're very controlling, that because of their high anxiety or fear or whatever. So they want to make sure and research everything to death. You know, if their wife wants to buy a car, they like want to research it for another six months. And by the time the wife's like, you know what, just forget I even said anything, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, um, no, it's like give her autonomy. Like she's the boss, that's her car that she's going to be driving. So maybe you can research and say, these are some of the points to look at, but I'll, but I'll support you in your decision, you know, but not like trying to hyper control. And that's not every person, but so for every person, the list is very individualized and tailored, but we work on it together. And then that's a list that I ask them to print out put where they can look at it every day or carry it in their phone, you know, and we revisit it. And then, and of course, then it's cause and effect, you know, when they're working on those things, their relationship dramatically improves, you know? Absolutely. And I'm on the same page with you, Eva, when I do the support groups with neurodiverse couples, I tell them there's probably a hundred things you can list about your relationship and your partner that you don't like. And if you focus on those, you're both going to suffer and you're probably going to end your relationship and it's not going to be pretty. But if you focus on the two or three things that seem to be repeat, repeated patterns in your relationship, and I'll tell you in my marriage, one was, you know, that uh, my ex would come home late from work and it was really important for me to have meals together. That was really important. And he did not understand how important it was to me because in his family of origin, they didn't do that. They ate meals separately. And so it wasn't of value to him. And he never, I don't think he ever really understood why it was of such value to me. So we fought about that over and over and over again. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I could go back, I would have changed that for sure. And then another thing was understanding, you know, how emotional I would get because I very much value all my relationships and I pride myself on being a people pleaser. I know that's not healthy, but I still like to be there for my, my friends and my family. And it was a very different situation for my ex-husband. He had different relationships with the people in his life. He didn't get emotionally involved. And so he couldn't understand that. I couldn't understand him. So we would get in these arguments. If we had done what you just suggested and I had put on my list, you know, that I am going to have meals with my husband on these days and the days we don't have meals, I'm going to go out with friends, I'm going to do things by myself that are enjoyable, what have you. I would have had such a different attitude about it. And then with the emotional piece, I, in my marriage, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, I felt guilty for having emotions. I really did, Eva. And I've heard this from a lot of um, non-autistic neurotypical folks that they feel like they should shut down their emotions. No, if your partner is interested in growing with you, they may not experience emotions the same way that you do, but it's important for them to learn about why you are experiencing the emotions, how they can support you, how they can communicate with you so that it doesn't turn into an argument or a fright, fight or a shutdown or a meltdown or what have you. But if those two things maybe had been addressed in my marriage, oh my gosh, we would have had so much less conflict and unintentional hurt and pain. And then when you narrow it down to a few, 
it becomes manageable, right, Eva? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because like I said, you know, even for me in my marriage, it's like, okay, uh, I don't have to work on a list of like 10 things every day. Right. You know, it's just like those few things that are that circle and circle around and 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 the this the same things, you know, whether it's my uh, in my case, it might be like my tone of voice or just kind of nitpicking, you know. And now I have my daughter too. Like this morning, I was like uh, dressing her up and I was, you know, sort of uh, <clears throat> my tone of voice, I think, was kind of impatient because we were getting late. Um, and then she goes, Oh, I don't want you to be mad at me, mom. And she started mm-hmm. getting sad. And then I was like, Oh, I'm actually not mad. I'm just like, like, hurry up already. Like, you know, but she's very sensitive to my facial expressions and my tone of voice and everything. And I, and I had to be like, okay, I'm going to work on it. And then I had to tell her, like, I'm not mad at you. I still love you. Like, and sometimes even when I am upset at you, I still love you. And, you know, just, we had to have a a chat about it, but sometimes, and sometimes we'll do that. We'll have a chat about it when I'm not upset and be like, you know, when mommy did blah, blah, blah. And the same thing applies for, I think, spouses too. So another thing I wanted to say is, you know, when um, <clears throat> when you're sometimes seemingly on two different uh, pages of an issue, for example, you know, like what I've learned in my own marriage and relationship is just just dialogue it, you know, a lot. And sometimes I think women hear that and they want to just roll up their sleeves and be like, let's have a two hour chat until (laughs) we figure it out. And the husbands are like melting into the floor and going, oh, make it stop. Like, you know, and, and my husband is one of those, you know, so he, so for me, I've learned like, oh, I can't do it like that with him. I have to be like, um, every so often being like, oh, so what do you think about this or blah, 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 you know, kind of on the fly or sometimes if we're taking a walk, you know, and then I know that, okay, it's not going to be like resolved in that. Like I don't go in with that expectation that, oh, somehow we're going to get to the heart of it. Of course, it's a really big issue. We have our own couples therapist. So we talk to her, you know, Mm -hmm. and that will be the place to talk about it. But if it's like, you know, things that I I feel like, okay, I feel like I really want to know where he stands on this, you know, but, um, but maybe we need to dialogue about it some more and keep talking about it, you know, and sometimes, yeah, it's just like, I don't know, I think uh, there was a time when we were kind of figuring out, should we uh, have another kid? And what what's that going to look like and stuff like that, you know, and I think we spend a whole summer pushing my uh, daughter in a stroller while we dialogued about it. And I would never, I didn't tell him like, oh, we're going out and let's talk about this and resolve it now, today. Right. Or whatever. I was just like, oh, just kind of bring curiosity and talk about it, but then talk about something else. Of course, if you ask him, he'll still tell you, oh yeah, my wife likes to talk things to death, you know? <laughs> but, but I think I'm better at that. That's my, yeah. that's another thing I'm working on, right? Yeah. Uh, to sort of yeah because it's not like he's not thinking and I think guys are like that they do think about it but then they think about it in shorter bouts Mm -hmm. and and then they move on and then they're like oh let's do something fun and then so it's like I've learned to like deal with things in shorter bouts and in and in like many many micro dialogues almost like if I would say have to put it that way you know yeah I love that I love that term micro dialogues 
and being respectful of your partner's like conversation battery. Yes. Uh, right. Because... Yes. I love that. Yes. Conversation <laughs> battery. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I was like you, Eva, once I had my ex-husband's attention, I could go for hours and there were probably 10 topics that I would bring up and that is not going to be helpful for either partner. So I think that that's really important. I think, you know, kind of just wrapping up this part of our discussion, I think when we go into a a long-term relationship with the focus on self-discovery and growth, I think the relationship can be so much healthier and we can be a healthier partner. So I can't stress that enough. I think you have, you know, you have such a healthy attitude about all of this And I know a lot of neurodiverse couples that go into the relationship with a much more healthy attitude. And as they don't understand their neurodiverse couple, they become maybe more toxic or unhealthy and they discover they're a neurodiverse couple. And then they have to figure out, do I want to wear that that hat of self-discovering growth or am I no longer willing to do that? And so I think that that's really important for folks to think about. And I know there are a lot of folks, Eva, out there who listen to the podcast that are single Mm -hmm. or um, they're divorced or they're deciding if they want to get into a relationship because, you know, maybe they haven't had the best luck with dating And I'll tell you, it's a whole different world to be dating at the age that I am than when I met my ex-husband at at 21, but I'm I'm enjoying it. So most days. So um, there, I know there are a lot of things that you probably share with your single clients regarding the things that they might want to consider while they're dating or before they get into a long-term relationship. So I'm wondering if there may be two or three that we can have a conversation about that might be helpful to the listeners who are single right now and maybe dating. Yeah, I mean, we all know about the list, right? The make the list. (laughs) Yeah, the list. (laughs) Yeah, the the short list of what you want and maybe the long list, like the must-haves and the would be nice to have, you know. Uh, but one of my friends, uh, you know, she, she did this list. And then when she was like mentoring other young women, she would sort of say, okay, make your list now circle that and be like, I'm going to be that. Mm, I love it. Right. Because like attracts like, so if you're looking for someone who's this and that, then, okay. Are you also that? Because you know, we can't have like such high expectations of everyone else because there's no one perfect because we're not perfect, you know, but you can find, I think, um, a perfect fit for you, you know, and I think the more we sort of focus on, okay, these are the things that we need to work on, but also like coming from a place of, I think, high self-esteem that, you know, I do deserve this. I don't deserve someone who's not going to honor me or respect me or prioritize me, you know, because I've certainly been in those kinds of relationships where, you know, um, the person is just not valuing you as a human being or as a person, as a woman, you know, Uh, I feel like um, 
it's really important to find someone who just, I think, really respects you. But then also, I think, how do you resolve conflict? I, I think that the Gottmans talk about this, right? They can sort of tell within, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, like if this couple is going to make it or not, by the way in which they talk to each other and resolving conflict, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think you do need to find someone who's... Um, I think willing to compromise, you know, and like commit to sort of like um, uh, working on things, like yeah. commitment to sort of like, we'll find a solution and we'll commit to working through this until we figure things out, until we both arrive on the same page. Because all too often, I think when people take shortcuts, when they're not on the same page and they're like, oh, we'll work it out. They're, they're sort of on the same page. And it's like, oh, it backfires, you know? It's it's never a good thing. So I think, and then I think not making any like uh, hasty decisions. And sometimes that's easier said than done because, you know, I certainly got married late where my biological clock was ticking. So I didn't have a whole lot of time, you know? But I think really understanding who the person is, you know, through their friends through their community. I feel like for my husband, uh, we met through a Buddhist community, but I had a lot of like good people like vouching for him mm. and give me a lot of confidence too. Because I think sometimes it, we live in a very individualistic culture because I'm actually uh, taking a course on positive psychology now because we talk about collectivist cultures and individualistic cultures, you know. And American culture, I think, is very much like, oh, it's let's just be me and you in this little bubble. And well, it doesn't work that way because you both need a support system. When right. they get rough, I can say to my husband, oh, go, go hang out with your friend, go spend an afternoon, go do whatever, you know. And, and the same with me, I'll invite a friend over or go meet somebody for lunch or, you know, and, and that, that community is very important. And even like with the death in our family, like, you know, all the people that are like supporting us and comforting us and talking to us, you know, uh, and, and I think like um, also being with someone who's open to uh, being resourceful if the need be like, so, okay, let's talk to a therapist. Like maybe you need a therapist. Maybe we need counseling together. You know, you, you don't want someone who's going to be like, Oh, that counseling, like wh what's that about? Like, no, I'm not going to do that because that's just a red flag. It's like yeah. everybody need, and I'm not saying that because I'm a counselor or whatever. I just feel like uh, we all need to grow, and whether it's even a, a like a, a from a religious perspective, if you have I don't know a rabbi or a pastor or whoever, but I think <clears throat> you know somebody who can point the mirror and show you like, hey, these are some areas of growth for you, you know. Yes. So, like, which is what our couple's counselor is. And she'll be like, Eva, well, you know, sometimes, you know, these are some things you need to work on, you know. And, and same thing for my husband. And sometimes we'll have individual sessions. So right from the get go, I think even in the dating phase, you want someone who, you know, has those same values. I feel like for me, you know, given my LGBTQ work and stuff like that, um, I also, I think, well, we, my husband and I were like uh, sort of friends and, but not like close friends and like we were friends in the community, but I remember stalking his Facebook once and we had like, um, an engagement, like this gay couple got engaged and he, he, I think he was taking pictures or something of the engagement and he posted those on his Facebook and he said, this is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> and I 
Yeah, and I remember, and you know, I remember reading that and being like, okay, that's a relief. Like, that's a check. I wasn't even dating him then. I was just sort of like investigating him, I guess. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Well, it took us a while to get there, but you know, we were we were just sort of, I don't know, in each other's orbit, you know. Right, right. But, but I filed that away in my head thinking. Oh, that's really cool, you know, because now it's like, okay, I'm married to someone now. I'm, I'm not going to sit and talk about like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> pride. Your values, pride. your values. Yeah. yeah, your values. Right. I'm not. I'm and and it and and it's and it's just like in how like and how he is and and even um, in our marriage, like we had like um, a, a friend who's gay who got married and he had to write, I think, a letter for the immigration or something vouching for this couple. You know, there's another couple. But, you know, like that, I really admire that about him, you know, that he, that that's his work and that's what he does in his life. But then in my life, I'm also doing this, but we're not at odds. Like I, I can come home to him and I can tell him something about these kinds of issues or have a discussion. And he's not like, oh, I don't know why you work with those people. Like, you know what I mean? Like yes. I couldn't handle that. Right. And I think that's so important. And I think, you know, there's probably 10 or 15 things that are just vitally important and maybe even less for, for folks that are really, really important. Now, my daughter is a lesbian mm -hmm. and I will tell every man that I go on a date with mm -hmm. um, at some point in the conversation, I will talk about her and her girlfriend. You know, mm -hmm. At this point, they've been together almost four years. And I look at their face. Yes. <laughs> I do. Yes. I look at their reaction. Yep. And if they were um, to give me a negative reaction or say something rude, that would be the end of the date, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a really important thing in my life because I want somebody who understands that um, I am very, very supportive of the LGBTQ plus community and they don't have to be as supportive, but they can't be negative. You know, another value may be that they are willing to uh, be there when I'm emotional. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember one of the guys I dated after my divorce, I was on um, Cymbalta. I can laugh about it at the time. I was on Cymbalta, so my emotions were a little bit more in check than they were in my marriage. And he said, I don't know if I could date you if you weren't on Cymbalta. And I thought, oh, wow, I better work on this if I'm going to stay in this relationship. That relationship ended you know, after almost a year, but, you know, you need somebody who understands mm -hmm. what, what you are that might be similar, but you need somebody who understands your differences and respects them. And I think that's really important in a neurodiverse relationship. So if you need a lot of alone time, or you need a lot of time with your deep interests or hobbies to be able to share that with your potential partner is really important. If you need a lot of socializing time with family and friends, like you go for dinner with your parents every week or out with friends, be upfront and be honest about that. You know, if you have certain sensory sensitivities and you can't go to loud, you know, concerts or bars or whatever, I think, you know, in this, in this world, this dating world with all these apps, we pretend to be something that we're not to get somebody to go out on a date with us. I don't, I'm over that. But, you know, doing that, you're just setting yourself up for failure because eventually the, the real you is going to come through. So is there anything else that you might want to share with the single folks out there to 
you know, think about or consider while they're dating? Yeah, I think don't ignore the red flags. Mm, Yes. You know, really, really don't ignore the red flags. And I think, um, you know, and again, I think talk about what they're willing to work on. Like, you know, and if that conversation can be had, if they're shutting down any that of that kind of conversation, that's another red flag. And I think the other thing is like, you know, we talked about self-discovery earlier is kind of knowing who you are. I remember like I'm an introvert, you know, and yeah, I like physical activity, but I'm not like going to do an Ironman or something or, (laughs) you know, I'm not like that. But I I had this, uh, this, this boyfriend actually uh, a a few years before I met my husband where he was like the mayor, you know, he would just like talk to everyone. And I found it so like, after the fact, I think in the moment, I just found it amusing. And I was like, Oh, like, he's charming. Oh, that's cute. Oh, that's sweet. And after the fact, I remember thinking, I'm exhausted. This relationship was so exhausting. This guy needs to talk to everyone. And then he wants to like go hiking and biking and boating in the same day, you know, because we come <laughs> back from like kayaking or rowing or whatever. And he'd be like, oh, let's ride our bicycles and ice, ice cream. And I'm like, no, I need a nap, you know. <laughs> it's like it's like what is your like you know even that physical kind of like pacing you know it's okay if like they want to just go on a bike ride by themselves you know and then I'll see you later that's one thing but it's like he also wanted like the togetherness part of it and I'm like okay that's not going to work you know so I think yes personal space like alone time and that's always going to be a battle especially I think when you have children that can be a battle I feel like my husband and I we're sometimes drawing straws like, okay, whose turn is it to put her to bed or, you know, who's more tired or who needs their personal space more, whatever. But I feel like all of those things, you know, there has to be like flexibility, fluidity, you know, and also I think um, uh, who the family is, you know, I think a big plus for me with my husband was that I really liked his family, you know, Mm. Um, I think that that's like an important aspect. But of course, you can't put that's not like you can't put that before uh, the relationship like that's like putting the whatever that saying is the cart before the yeah the cart before the horse yeah yeah the cart before the horse yeah so I feel like uh you know I think but you know you want to also like know who their friends are because if all their friends are of a particular type and they're the only and then you have to be like why is this person hanging out with all these friends that are you know I mean so of those things I think need to need to matter like you know and and like again I think that we have this individualistic culture but then after a while it sort of uh, comes to haunt you you know because it's like uh, like I have a couple that uh, just last night I had a session and they're very polarized on particular political issues and I'm just like wow that's like and then I think you have to figure out like what's something that for you is going to be like wow I really can't deal with this like for me, it was those types of things, you know, there were some main uh, things like we just talked about, you know, like uh, support, support and being um, strong allies of the LGBTQ plus community. So for me, that was important, you know, uh, and it, it just happened that my husband's a little bit maybe, you know, on the same page of, of that. But even like if you said, like he was just supportive, but, you know, from afar or whatever, 
like, okay, that's fine, but know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Because after marriage, that's really hard to, to break down those barriers, you know? So if like, especially even, uh, and if the guy is like, I had this one couple during COVID, I think she was like uh, for the vaccine and he was an anti-vaxxer, you know? So it's like, and and I was like, okay, but there's not a really a therapy issue. Like I can right. facilitate you guys talking about it, but I'm not going to have tell you my opinion, what you should do. Like, that's just not my place, you know? Right. So those types of things, I think you just have to uh, have those micro dialogues, even bef especially before dating and marriage and, and get like a sense of like, you know, like, is this safe to go there? Is it safe to talk about this? Like, how do I feel? You know, don't just like uh, sweep those things under the rug and then hope for an, another day because it is going to uh, come to bite you. And there are no shortcuts in life. And sometimes I think we meet people and we're like tired from dating as, as you, you you know now. And <laughs> I, I certainly know, you know, because you just want to be like, oh, let's just like, just like, let's settle. Like who who else is going to come along or whatever, you know? And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's hard work, but that's why maybe don't go out and date all at once, you know, just take time, take time to be by yourself. And sometimes it just happens when you least expect it. But I think don't compromise on what your needs are. Like if you're an introvert, yeah, don't be with someone who's like a mayor, you know, <laughs> yeah, if you're an extrovert, don't be with someone who's an extreme homebody, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. You're like a super active person. Like, uh, yeah, then be a super active person. Like I have a friend who who loves those kinds of things, like hiking, biking, whatever. And then we have some mutual friends, uh, you know, and she's like, oh my God, what can I tell you? She took me for a hike and it was never ending. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, I hear you. Like, like that was not a romantic thing. But right. Imagine if it was, it would not be working out. Like, you know, but thankfully my friend who likes hiking is married to someone who likes going on never ending hikes. You there know? you go. There you so. go. And I love that. I love that. That, that made me laugh because yeah. And, and some people, you know, try to be what their potential partner wants them to be, whether they're masking or, you know, they're just trying to people please. And I know I, I did that when I was much younger. I would not do that now. Pretending to be somebody you're not in the beginning of a relationship is not a healthy thing. And that's what I would say to the single people out there. Be true to yourself. Discover who you are. Be willing to grow. And if you're not willing to grow, you know, tell your partner that, you know, or your potential partner that these are like the top things that I need in my life. And I'm just being honest with you. And if they're not, you know, things that, that you're okay with, that's fine. I'll move on. But I think so many of us are trying to be somebody um, that we're not to attract a partner. Not healthy. Not yeah, healthy. I think when you need a second opinion, like, you know, find a therapist. I remember this, my, one of my first clients actually that I started working with when I was an intern, um, yeah, I started working with him when he was just in a very difficult place, didn't have a job, no girlfriend, no nothing, you know, and then fast forward, he got a job, he got a girlfriend, and then he was in this very difficult relationship. And we really talked through it. And I think it really helped him put things in perspective. He ended up ending that relationship and finding a, another, uh, you know, woman to date. And then they came to me for premarital counseling, like counseling like during dating and then mm -hmm. also 
marital. And now they're happily married, fast forward with two children, and they still work with uh, a therapist, you know, uh, on parenting or marriage counseling or whatever. So I feel like, and that's actually, I think, one of the stories that you're going to hear in, in my uh, next book, my upcoming book, uh, which is about, um, you know, these, uh, uh, it's called Armchair Conversations on Love and Autism, uh, Secrets of Happy Neurodiverse Couples. Um, and I wanted to write this book because I felt like so many, there were so many naysayers out there about neurodiverse relationships that, oh, 80% end in failure and things like that. And there were, I don't know, some, apparently some research papers floating around on this that, you know, and I'm like, I don't know how, who, what is their, who they polled and what their control group was and what was going on, you know. But um, in any case, I just feel like even in the book, like if you read the stories of people who are together and why they're together, they're certainly together for the right reasons. Right. And that, I think, in a way, is the the secret to like, uh, you know, of course, there are no guarantees in life, you know, because you could meet somebody and they're perfect for you today, something could happen. And then like, you know, um, certainly um, breakups, divorce, they, they are realities of, of life and there's no judgment there. And, and dating is hard. And I think pick, picking the right partner sometimes... Uh, it is the luck of the draw and it is really painful and it is really hard, you know, and I went for a period in my life thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to meet someone. And, and I had to be like, okay, well, I guess I have to be okay with that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and sometimes I think then it, it happens when you least expect it. I know it's a cliche, but I think valuing yourself, but I think that came from me for, from a lot of pain where I was compromising myself, my values, who I was, you know, my self-worth, you know, because these people that I was seeing were, were not valuing me. And then I just had to pause and be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to like, I'd rather be by myself than be treated this way, you know? And I think a lot of autistic women, I think, go through that because they they get victimized or uh, they have low self-esteem or um you know they they are gullible or naive or whatever you know but i think um yeah just being true to themselves and also having an ally so talking to a therapist about your relationships you know and like oh is this a good partner or a friend or your parents or whoever you know uh, somebody that's in your court that I think is going to be helpful because sometimes we can't think clearly. It's hard to be objective. I think when we are that close to a person, when we have rose tinted glasses because we're like in the you know blush of love or something, you know. Right. So we like, um, yeah. It's it's just uh, you know we we really need I think that community support again, even when we're dating, you know. Right. I agree. I agree. I know when I am serious with somebody, I will introduce them to there's two or three friends that I make sure they meet so yeah. that I can get my friend's view of it. Because in the beginning, we're in the honeymoon stage and that honeymoon stage can last three, three years, they say. Yes. So, yeah. So such such a great conversation. I want to end with one other thing that I know we wanted to talk about, and that is discernment. When you're in a neurodiverse relationship and you're trying to decide if you should stay or go and how hard, really, really hard that decision is. I know I've talked about this on the podcast 
that my ex and I were married for about 28 years when we separated and we didn't find out until about a year, year and a half into our separation that we were a neurodiverse couple. And we were separated for over two years because for me, I needed to know that I had tried everything possible to transform our marriage. You know, I needed to believe that there was no hope left on my side. And, you know, I don't recommend a two and a half year separation. (laughs) I don't think that was the most healthy thing for either of us. But um, are there any particular things that you want to share around, you know, discerning whether you should stay or go? Because we've talked about a lot of really important stuff with self-discovering growth and things to think about when you're dating. But I know there's a lot of listeners who are in that place where they're wondering, is this really the right relationship for me? Should I continue? Yeah, that's, that's a very, I think, challenging thing. Cause oftentimes, you know, as you know, a couple has like a, so much invested in, in the relationship, the, you know, shared history, Uh, the impact on children, you know, like, and then you don't know, like, there's fear of the unknown, like, what's my life going to be like, if I do end this, you know, and um, is there hope that I can find someone else? Or will I be happy by myself, right? All of those questions, I think. But I think one, one, a few things. So one is, I think, to realize that you don't have to be like, legally divorced or you know or whatever to like maybe live separately and have like a two-city marriage or two-state marriage or whatever you know as my client called it um because that way sometimes you know when i ask some of my neurodiverse couples okay when was your what was your happiest time and they'll say yeah when we were both in our own homes and we were like just dating and going out and having fun and going out, you know, doing, doing interesting things, you know, finding new places to eat or whatever. And I feel like maybe that's a good model. Sometimes if you feel like you could pull it off, you know, whether financially or logistically or whatever to live in two different homes or, Uh, close by or far away, you know, uh, I have a couple that's now giving a try to buy coastal like living. um, Or I have another couple that's been married for a long time, and they have like a two city marriage, you know, we're going to different cities that like are an hour apart, you know. Uh, So sometimes it may not be necessary to fully go through like the divorce and you can, you know, certainly travel together or do fun things together and see if there can be like some rekindling uh, of the relationship. Uh, I think the other thing is I've lately been uh, recommending a lot of EMDR therapy to people so that they can get maybe their um, triggers like down, you know, because there's a lot of trauma and sometimes like post-traumatic stress and stuff like that from being in very difficult marriages, you know, so if they can heal some of that through like the EMDR therapies, that can be of value, I think. Um, But I think I always sort of draw the line with, you know, okay, if you're being 
um, you know, abused in any way, physically, emotionally, you know, mentally, financially, even, you know, that I feel like it, it's like, it's for me, it's a no, no, you know, because that's just not right. And then also, if your health is really suffering, I feel like, you know, mm -hmm. and I think, and, and I think that, okay, if you don't want to go through like the legal divorce and whatever, because sometimes people are, older and they're more maybe financially vulnerable or whatever, then I say, yeah, if you have a vacation home, or if you have, if you're able to live apart, then just do that. Take the time. Don't like uh, justify your taking the time away. Just like recuperate from all of the, 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 the trauma that's happened to you uh, in the relationship. And it can be sometimes for both partners, you know, right. not the non-spectrum partner. Um, but I think it, it, it's always a very difficult decision to make, you know, but I feel like, yeah, if you, if, you know, all of those things are ironed out, like you can, and that's why I think for, for young uh, women in particular, I always want to encourage them and empower them to be like, yeah, stand on your own two feet. Don't be financially dependent, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because I think that oftentimes does impact like whether people stay or go, I yeah. think. You know, because if you don't have like, if you're vulnerable in that way, then it's like, then you're going to have to like keep going because the, of the dependency issue, you know, and sometimes I know it's not a choice. People have health issues, disabilities, children, you know, it, it's very complicated. And like, I, like I have no judgment either way, whether people decide to stay or go, if they're going to stay, then we try to make it, um, as best as we can for them, you know, mm -hmm. um, as much as we can try to improve the relationship. And if they want to leave, I think they'll still need all the support and, and, and all of, you know, uh, all of that, because that's also difficult, you know? Uh, so there are no easy answers, but I do think that, yeah, if your health is being affected, if you're not being valued as a person, you know, you're, you're not respected, you know, you're, you're afraid for, for, for yourself, you know, you feel like your partner just wouldn't be able to take care of you in a, in a crisis or whatever. I don't know, either have like some backups in place or figure out like, yeah, whether this is the right relationship or, and also if you're, if the children are being harmed and hurt, you know, sometimes I think parents have to think about those things. So they're very, like, I think, deep and painful issues really to to discuss you know uh, and I'm not sure we can do justice in the time that we have left but I do feel like you really want to be deliberate about it talk about it you know I have certainly a lot of people who come to me who are like um, yeah you're our last resort they'll even fly from across the world or across the country or whatever you know and and oftentimes you know I am able to help them sometimes maybe with limited success, but at least then I think maybe Mona for you, you feel like, uh, you know, uh, content and happy with where you're both at and where your family's at, because I think maybe you tried everything you had that to your separation, you know, and you have no regrets. And I think that's the main thing, you know? Yes, I agree with you. And I know Eva for every person that is going through this in their head, it is so difficult. And mm -hmm. I say, you know, and I say this in the support groups that I run, if you were to see me 
you know, six years ago before we divorced, I was an absolute wreck. You know, I had to go on Cymbalta, which is an antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. I quit my job. I had to leave. I took a leave of absence and then had to quit because I literally could not go into work without crying because people were asking me how I was and I was an absolute mess. But Mm -hmm. today I am a completely different person in ways I never thought I I could be, you know, but it's taken for me. Um, I went through somatic therapy, which was really helpful. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and because, you know, our body does keep the score. You yes. Know? And, and we, we probably experienced, you know, trauma, whether it's big T or little T in our family of origin. And then, you know, both partners can experience trauma in their relationship and you need to heal that because it will, it will stay in your body. It will stay in your brain and it will continue to affect every relationship you have after, you know, if you decide to leave. And the thing I want to end with, you know, Eva, is that every relationship is unique. Mm-hmm. And, and, right. And if we if we go to our church or our synagogue or our temple and we talk to folks and they judge us for the way in which we're living our relationship or we go to family and friends and they judge us, then we're going to feel guilty about living life with our partner in a different way. So I always say to folks, don't have these conversations with people that don't understand neurodiverse relationships, because it is going to feel uncomfortable and you are going to question what you're doing and whether it's right. And I always say, Eva, if it's right for you and your partner, that's all that matters. Yes, exactly. That's that's exactly correct. Yeah. So that's a, a great place to kind of end this phenomenal conversation. And I want to remind folks about your two books that are out. So Marriage and Lasting Relationships with Asperger's Syndrome in parentheses, Autism Spectrum Disorder, Successful Strategies for Couples or Counselors. And that one I think came out in 2015. That was a Bible for me. And then your second book, Gender Identity, Sexuality and Autism, Voices from Across the Spectrum, which is also phenomenal. And then your third book, the Armchair Conversations on Love and Autism, which will be coming out in spring of 2024. So if you have not gotten uh, Eva's two books that are out, I highly recommend them both. And you can pre-order her new book that's coming out in 2024. And Eva, is there anything else you want to say before you give your contact information? Because I know there's going to be a lot of folks who are going to want to reach out to you. Anything else you want to wrap up with? And there doesn't have to be because we talked about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone just take good care of yourselves. We're going through a very difficult time in the world right now with everything that's going on and, you know, and the climate crisis and um, everything. So I think just take really good care of yourselves. And uh, I always say, you know, sometimes if it's between taking a mental health day here and there or taking a nap and or sort of burning out and then not being able to work at all just choose like the rest and the nap and the day off you know so I just wanted to plug that in because I know for a lot of our autistic folks and and their partners and family members I think uh, everyone needs like uh, special specialized care um and, and, you know, they, they really need to, I think, um, be mindful of, um, you know, setting boundaries for, um, 
the news and social media triggers and whatever is going out out there. So, uh, yeah, my heart's breaking for everything that's going on in the world right now. So everyone, please take really, really good care of yourselves and uh, reach out to your providers if you need more support, you know. Yes, absolutely. It is a very, very difficult and emotional time. And it, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt um, throughout the world. I agree with you. So if people want to reach out to you, Eva, what is the best place for them to contact you? So that's my website. It's Eva, E-V-A hyphen Mendes, M-E-N-D-E-S dot com. And then my email is Eva at Eva hyphen mendis.com and usually my assistant or I will you know get back to you but if we don't it's because we get overrun with inquiries and emails so just you know uh, we uh, reach out to us again um, and we'll try and stay on top of everything as best as we can and uh, yeah fantastic now are you taking new clients for therapy or coaching or do you have a wait list um, starting in the new year, I think the wait list will be opened up a little bit. So I think, um, yeah, I think for people, uh, who are looking to work with me, maybe send us an inquiry and then we'll, we'll see what we can do, you know, so on a limited basis and starting in the new year. Yes. Fantastic. Eva, thank you for all the, the material that you have put out to the world for your phenomenal books for your transparency and your honesty and for the work you continue to do to help neurodivergent folks and neurodiverse couples throughout the world. Thank you so much for sharing your time with my listeners and the audience and with me. I really, really, really appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you so much, Mona, for everything that you're doing. And especially, I think this podcast has, you know, probably uh, is reaching all around the world and for you know, so many people that are suffering and in need. So thank you so much for taking on this work that, you know, grew out of your own experience and, and journey. Uh, so I, I couldn't be more grateful. Thank you. 